You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, it is so good to be back with you today and to open up God's Word. And if you will, please, at this time, if you'll stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we'll be in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to finish up the chapter. Let's listen to this passage, which is, I think, very clear and very powerful. It is a challenge to our hearts to think deep about our faith and how that faith motivates us to do the work of the kingdom. Here's what James has to say. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, we are asking today that we will have a faith that works. We are asking, God, that you will open our minds and our hearts to what we need to see and hear today, that we can have a faith that is deep and true. This passage speaks of the faith of a demon, and we know, Lord, that that's not okay. That's not enough. We want that deeper walk with you, and we want you to help us uh, see, Lord, where our hearts need work. Work on us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'll tell you this. Everybody believes in something. Now, not everybody believes in God. Some people uh, don't believe in God at all. That category is, of course, an atheist. Now, when we start talking about statistics like I'm about to share with you, it is concerning to hear about those people who really don't have any connection with God or any desire to be connected with God. For instance, in the last 15 years or so, we've seen a pretty steady increase, at least one I think steady, scary enough to be steady, um, in terms of atheists. So back in 2009, about 2% of the United States population would have said that they were atheists. Five years later, in 2014, about 3%, and then 4% in 2019. Now notice that 1% increase. That's that's kind of scary. There's another category of, uh, of agnostics. And, you know, what is an agnostic? Well, they're an atheist without conviction, some have said. Uh, basically, an agnostic is just someone who says, you know, I'm not saying there's not a God, but I'm just not really sure that you could ever prove that to me. And so they kind of stay in that category of an agnostic. About 5% of Americans would fall into that category. But in the last 20 years or so, the Pew Research Center has come up with another category. And this just keeps, in my mind, just keeps getting more scary and more scary. 
This other category is the nuns. Not, not like wearing a habit, not like a Catholic nun, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And these are people who, not claiming to be atheists, not claiming to be agnostics, but also just saying, listen, when it comes to religion, we're just not interested at all. No religious affiliation, no desire to seek after anything religious, the nuns. Now, that's 21%. If you're counting along with me, you realize that now we're up to about 30% of the U.S. population that that would say uh, that they're either atheists, agnostics, or they want nothing to do with religion. We have a lot of work to do. But if I left it right there, that would be scary enough. But let me take it a step further. And this last step is one that really uh, should cause us to to focus uh, our hearts. And really, it is what will drive our time together in the Word today. We don't have any stats for this, but there are many people who are in the church. And they are people who, when we talk to them about God, they seem to nod their head and say they believe in God. And when we talk about the scriptures, they seem to agree with most of the things that we read in the scriptures. But many of the people who claim to believe in God do things and say things that are counterproductive to the teachings of scripture and the goals of the kingdom of God. So now we're going beyond the 30% that are are not in church and, and seem to have very little interest in church. But now we're talking about those people who are in the church and who have a mouth that says, yeah, I believe in God. They may take it a step further and say they believe in Jesus, but there's no discernible difference in how they behave. Their lifestyle is not distinctively Christian. There's nothing that you can point at in their lives where you can see how the gospel has changed them or impact them. Today, here in a city like Springfield, where there are churches galore, there are a lot of people uh, going to church, yes, but even more people are on church rolls and don't take the time to even attend church. There are many people in America who would say that they believe in Christianity or are Christians, but don't live like a Christian in any way, shape, form, or fashion. If you were with us two weeks ago, I gave two quick illustrations of a truck driver and a lawyer who said they believed in God and believed they needed salvation, but they were also very clear to say that they were following their own hearts when it came to what they wanted to do, their lusts, or, or even their materialistic uh, drive. The lawyer said, I don't want to tithe because I'll make too much money someday. The truck driver said that he had those girlfriends in other cities. He didn't want to give up his girlfriends. And so these are people who are saying, I believe in Jesus and I believe that the Bible is real, but their lives, their choices have nothing to do with God's word. That's where we want to park the proverbial car today. That's where we want to dwell for just a moment because basically what we're dealing with here, and this is very strong language, but the kind of person who says they believe in God, but do not seem to love God and serve God, that is a demon's faith. So I want you to get that right. That is a demon's faith. And the reason I can say that is because the text is very clear there in verse 19, that Demons have a certain kind of faith where they acknowledge God, but clearly, as we're going to find out, they do not love nor serve God. So let's begin there. A demon's faith defined, and basically, a demon's faith defined is faith 
apart from works. Now, think about that for a moment. Faith, okay, I believe, but no works, no activities, no actions that are distinctively Christian. Now, don't we think, and I I would assume everybody in this room would agree with me, that there is a certain level of absurdity there uh, to say that you are a believer, but you have no change in your behavior. Are you following me? To be a believer in something, but it doesn't change your behavior. A simple example could be, you could say that you really love Mexican food, but if you never eat Mexican food, well, your behavior doesn't really match up with what you say. Now, if you, you know, if it makes you sick or whatever, okay, well, there's always exceptions there. But the point is that, that you, when you say you really are into something, but then you're never participating in that, well, we see that as a logical inconsistency. Now, it's sad but true that the scriptures have to call this out, that there would be, obviously, in James's day and in our day, those who would say something but wouldn't back it up with their behavior. The term works is just like the word faith in the fact that it's a slippery term. What does that mean? Um, Because the truth of the matter is, if we want to talk about faith and and what that means, we need to also sort of think about what works means when we're talking about doing something for for, for God. Because there's a lot of people that are out there that are doing good things. Those people in the category of atheist or agnostic or none realize many of them are, are, are donating some time or volunteering or trying to help people, maybe even fostering and doing things like that. Listen, friends, we don't need to assume that only Christians do good things, but what's the motivation behind those good things? For a Christian, that motivation is to show the love of Christ, to live out the love of Christ, to be sacrificial in all that we do. People who do not have Christ have their reasons, and those reasons don't have to be bad or evil or wrong, but we need to realize that not all works are honoring unto God. We need to realize that works without faith are like a building without a foundation. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask you this morning to consider what is your foundation? Where are you in your life? You can be a person that has gone to church all of your life. But if that that long season of going to church has not changed you, then today we're asking you to, to, to humble your heart and to ask God to show you what is the matter. One of my professors in my doctorate, Dan Doriani, he said this. He said, a claim of faith is vindicated by a life of holiness and good deeds. If your life is holy and you're doing good things for the Lord, that is vindication that you have real faith. Now, again, it's no one can judge your heart, okay? Only God can judge your heart. And so even good deeds that you surround yourself with don't necessarily mean you're saved, but it's a really good sign when you're surrendering your heart to the Word of God and you're living for Jesus and you're serving Jesus, that vindicates many times that what you say is true. Now to help us think this through, one commentator by the name of Stephen Rung, he says this, Because we need to distinguish between preferred beliefs and actual beliefs. Really good definition here. Preferred beliefs or values are those things we think and say are important. Actual beliefs or values are the ones we act on. So preferred means would be something like this. If I say in this room to just kind of piggyback on what, what Shayla said earlier... 
Uh, if I were to say it's important to care for widows and orphans, it's important to support fostering and adopting, I don't think anybody in this room would say, boo, that's a terrible idea. Why would we help those precious children? Every single person in this room, my guess is your preferred belief is that helping orphans be adopted, to, to foster them, is a positive value. But the next question is, how many of us are actually, actively doing something about it? Because we can say that we're on that team, but if we never contribute, we never get off the bench, then it's just still a preferred belief and not an actual one. The church can say the right things, but it must also always do the right things. The demons themselves have preferred beliefs. Let me explain. Notice what 19 says, verse 19. Even the, the demons believe and shudder. So they know that God is real. And when they think about his holiness and his grandeur, they shake. So they are aware of God. They are knowledgeable of who he is. They know that God is one, as Deuteronomy 6.4 would tell us. But this is the lowest form of faith. It is just preferred belief. It is not a belief that saves them. It is just a belief where we say, okay, um, we know that earth is the third rock from the sun, as it were. Uh, we can say that is just a preferred belief. But I don't know how you actualize that. But you can say something is true, but it's not changing your behavior. The demons obviously are not allowing this truth to change their behavior. One scholar put it this way, if demons might hold such faith and remain in perdition, which is a fancy word for hell, men might hold it and go to perdition, go to hell. So preferred beliefs are not enough. One of the most fascinating passages in the New Testament is Acts 19.15, where there's a demon-possessed man, and the demon speaks and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Referring to the false prophet. Now notice what's going on there. The demon knows who Jesus is. The demon knows that Paul is an apostle that preaches in the name of Jesus. But the demon also realizes that the person he's talking to doesn't have real faith. We can claim anything, but we must live our lives in a way that honors Christ. I fear that many times in our world today, we have people who mean well, they'll They'll, they'll, they've been raised in church, and they'll, they'll talk about what they believe in. Uh, but many times, what, what their real passion is, is not what the Word of God actually says, but kind of their, their take on it, their opinion, their spin on Christianity. That's how we can have all these denominations that really don't even preach the Bible anymore. Because what you have is people saying, well, I know God's Word or the Bible or, or you know, the New Testament, Old Testament. They say this, but I prefer this approach to life. Well, there's someone who is, is saying, you know what, when it comes right down to it, what I think and what I feel and my opinion on the subject is just as important as what God's Word says. Well, that kind of faith, I think, is demonic because it's a kind of faith that doesn't lead one closer to Christ. It just sort of gives you the feel-good feeling of, of I'm doing something good. It's all about me, but I'm afraid that is a, a demon's faith. Now, I want to say this. The person who has the faith of a demon, is the most deceived. 
The atheist and agnostic are very honest about where they stand. Those who say they have no religious affiliation, they're very honest about where they stand. But the person who comes to church but never is impacted by the gospel, that is a contradiction in terms. It's a major problem. It's the reason why in churches today, um, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be people who uh, fight with one another because if the scriptures aren't our centerpiece, then what will become our centerpiece are our opinions, our preferences. But preferred beliefs and actual beliefs need to be distinguished here. Let me give you this illustration. It's an easy one to arrive at. I think you'll agree. This has nothing to do with anyone's political persuasion or otherwise, but we know how difficult it is to look at those politicians who everything they say and do is out in the limelight. But what about those politicians who claim to be Christians, who claim to be a part of a church or a denomination, and yet the, 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 everything they say and the legislation that they push forward Uh, It seems to be 100% in opposition of Christian teachings. Have you noticed this? There are people who say they're a Christian, but their actions and activities as it relates to governing have nothing to do with the scriptures. You see, that's an easy, that's like low-hanging fruit, as it were, to, to pick on again because politicians are in the limelight. But take that illustration and just bring it into the average Christian's life. Those people who, when asked if they're at a, at a function and it behooves them to say, yeah, I'm a member of such and such a church, they'll say it. They'll, they'll say they go to church if they think that that is something that the other person wants to hear. But down deep in their heart, they know that they've not really changed in how they've lived over the years. They're still kind of doing things their own way. So here's something to think about. Possessing theology is good, but the real question is, is the theology possessing us. Now, when we talk about being possessed, you know, you think about demon possession, that kind of thing, even that Acts 19 passage speaks to that. But I want to tell you something. We need to be possessed by the Holy Spirit in this sense. We need the scriptures to guide us. We need to be filled with the truth of God and let that be our fuel. We need to realize that that's what what distinguishes us and helps us to be the church and the people of God. Listen, going to church is a good thing. I believe that that saying you believe in God, that's a good step. But these don't necessarily mean that we have ultimate truths that we're living by, that we are serving God with everything we have. Listen to this. Too many people in our world today are empty people using empty words and doing empty things. You know, I've never been one to keep a garden But if I did have a garden, I wouldn't keep dead plants in the garden. Gardens are for living things. And I want us to realize that when it comes to the church, it's important that we all have a living faith. If if you are here and that you are a believer in Christ, it doesn't mean that you have to be a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a certain kind of servant. But somewhere in your life, somewhere in the mix... You have a ministry and a calling. God is at work in your life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We need to be spiritually alive and doing works that are helping others to become spiritually alive. A few years ago, 1 John 4.18 became a game-changer passage for me because it speaks of how perfect love casts out fear. Let me close this point uh, by saying this. If love is not your motivation in terms of your actions, it's better to sit still. 
I've watched over the years a lot of people in churches who are acting. They're, they're, they're out trying to do things, but the, the expression of love is not there. They are, they are able to point a finger. They're able to point out what's wrong in other people's lives, but they're not showing any love. One of the problems is, I think, in Christian life today in America is, is that you have some people who won't point out any sins, and then you have other people who want to point out every sin. Somewhere in the middle, here's what we need to be doing. We need to be loving people well enough that we're building relationships with them. We need them to be very clear on what we're for. We are for the kingdom of God. We are for loving one another. And when we are clear about what we are for, when that opportunity comes for us to talk about what we disagree about, there is a foundation of love. But we cannot have the conversation about those areas where sin may be dwelling if we've not first shown love. And so, Ridgecrest, I'm asking you to get to work. I'm asking you to get beyond the faith of a demon. Not that that's where you're at, but we need to get beyond those things because the world needs to hear about the love of Jesus. And they need to see us actively reaching out to people and showing them love. Demons are driven by fear, but you and I, we must be driven by love. And I want to challenge you right now. Think about the words you say to, to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The words you say to those who are non-believers. I want you to think about the words you post on social media. Are those things you're saying driven by love or fear? And I'm going to tell you, many times in my life I've realized after writing an email or writing a, a letter to someone that I've written it more out of, out of fear than love. That I've, that I've not thought it through and asked God to fill me with grace and love. Listen, the world needs you to be a person filled with love so that the works you do for the kingdom are beautiful and full of love. Now, our second point, and I want to be very quick here, verses 21 through 25 give a couple biblical arguments for active faith. And those two biblical arguments focus on two individuals. We have Abraham and Rahab. The first one makes perfect sense. Abraham is sort of the father of faith. So we have the patriarch. But the one that catches us off guard is Rahab, the prostitute. But in each instance, we have two individuals who give us pictures of active faith. Oceans of ink have been spilled uh, because of, of these verses here and what seems to be a contradiction with Paul and some of the things that Paul is saying. But I believe that Paul and James are in perfect agreement here. I think that both authors are dealing with uh, the same kind of issues, but from different angles. Paul is worried about the legalists who are saying, you've got to do all these things to be saved. James is worried about those people who say they're saved, but they're not doing anything for Jesus. And, and, and Abraham and Rahab show us what that balance looks like. We need to realize that these two individuals are helping us find a way to that place where our faith is actively being expressed through good works. Let me put it to you this way. Works make faith within us visible to those around us. So when we talk about why we need to have good works, well, it boils down to a visible witness. The world needs to hear the gospel because it is a word. It has to be spoken. The gospel has to be proclaimed and preached. But it also helps when love is your foundation. 
Now, with Abraham, what we see is we see a man who um, was so faithful that he left his home country, so faithful that he was willing to give his only son when God commanded it. He was willing to do the things that God asked him to do. Listen, when it comes right down to it, there is no doubt that somewhere in this book, God is going to convict you and show you an area where you need to minister, an area where you can make a difference. Every time God speaks to us through his word, I believe he can fine-tune our our focus and help us find our ministry. It is not about doing one specific kind of ministry, friends. It's just about every one of you being involved where God has gifted you, that you are passionate about serving Jesus where he has you and with the gifts he's given you. And Rahab, her story is powerful. Joshua 2, 9 through 12, actually, I have in my notes here 11, but I'd read through verse 12 and notice that all of her information about God is secondhand. Now, let me explain. She didn't see God work directly, but she had heard from the other nations around them that God had been at work among the Israelites and had been clearing a path for them through the wilderness. She had heard all these things and had the conviction that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the one true God. She had secondhand information, but had a first-rate faith. Now, here's where things get interesting. Because when I look at where we are in America today, we have first-rate information about God. If, if uh, you're not able to connect with our services, there are podcasts and other great, great sermons online. We have online so many theological resources. We have libraries filled with books. We have our Kindles, our phones filled with books if you want them. Any good thing you want to know about Jesus, it doesn't take much. You don't have to be a great researcher to get first rate, first level, top level theological information. And yet look at the church today. It seems like we have a lot of second rate belief. So notice Rahab had secondhand information, but a first-rate faith. We have first-rate information, but we have kind of a second-hand faith. And it's, and it's because, I think, we've been given so much. Rahab did not have faith alone. Her faith gave her the courage to put her life on the line to rescue 12 strangers. So here's the thing. What it boils down to is this. How do you know you have real faith? You're willing to take chances for God. You're willing to go against the tide and the current of whatever's going on in the world today and say, I will follow Jesus. I will trust in his word. I will do what everybody else says is crazy, but I'm going to do it if God's word is clear and the Holy Spirit is moving. Ridgecrest, what we need are people who are willing to give their all for Jesus. We have to stop being a people who are giving God the left of our lives. He is here. He is alive. He is at work. And he deserves more than our leftovers. James's works are not works of obligation. These are works of love that he's talking about. When you realize what Jesus has done for you, you should have courageous faith. And I want to challenge you this morning. Is your faith courageous? Where are you stepping out? Where are you laying it on the line? Let me just say this. By making a, 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 an inflammatory comment on social media, that's not what I'm talking about. We need people who are courageous enough to have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people who have completely different worldviews than us. 
that we're willing to, to have those conversations and, and for people to hear our hearts and know the love of God. Abraham and Rahab are people who show us in the Scriptures bold, living faith. Do you possess that living faith? It's important because look at verse 26 again. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you have a faith that never works, James is calling you out. I've had people, after preaching a sermon like this, say, Pastor, I, I just don't know if I'm a Christ follower. I've, I've had some bad days. Listen, you as a human being are going to have some bad days. It's, it's okay. But when bad days turn into bad weeks and bad months and, God forbid, bad years, you need some help. And what scares me in the church today is that we have many people who have not served the Lord for weeks, months, or years, and they don't seem to be convicted at all about the works that are lacking in their lives. As I think about it, my life is kind of like this. If you were to chart good days and bad days, I know it's kind of like that, ups and downs, ups and downs, but I believe by God's grace, there has been an overall, if we were to chart it, it's been going up. Sometimes slowly, but overall going up as I learn more about God's word and want to give my life to God. If the trajectory of your life has been more down lately and it's been consistently that way, then we need to listen well to what the Spirit is saying to us. Because notice this, you can know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but do you believe that he is your Savior? The demons believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They do not believe that Jesus is their personal Savior. Are you following me? It's not enough for you to say, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for, my, for, for sin. We have to say that he came and died for my sins. And if we settle for anything less than that, then we, have very, uh, we don't have anything more than a demon's faith. Today I'm wanting us to think about this before we leave. And the question is, for you as an individual, do I have a living faith? Do I have a faith that goes beyond just the mere demonic? Here's a question. Am I trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin? Friends, the only way we can be, be saved is to believe that Jesus, His blood spilled on the cross, saves us. The second question is, do, do my actions support my convictions? Is there spirit-empowered ministry taking place in my life? So do we believe that Jesus saves? And do we have spirit-empowered ministry? Where is there evidence in your life that God is at work? And the third thing that I would ask, is the Father's love filling us and flowing through us? You know, one of the statements that's driven my heart recently is just this statement that we, if we do not have love, we ought to sit still. And I'm asking you right now, if, if you claim to have the love of Jesus in your heart and you are sitting still in ministry, you need to understand that's not okay. So this last week, some of the conversations you have in airports, <laughs> when, when that, we met some interesting characters, you always do. Um, and so when you're in an airport like the one in Frankfurt, Germany, it's a big airport and people travel there from all over the world. And so one of the questions that gets brought up when you're in those conversations is where you been? 
Well, let me tell you something. When you say, I've been to Ukraine, they'll say, why? You say Italy, they're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Or, you know, if, if you've been in Germany, they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Either business or pleasure or whatever. But when you say Ukraine, they go, hmm, what's that about? And when you can say to them, I'm in Ukraine because there's this great orphanage there ran by some great people who love Jesus and they're rescuing kids from darkness. And we spent a week praying over these children and caring for them. Even if that person we were talking to is not a believer, um, every single time this week when we had that conversation, they said, that is awesome work. Keep it up. It was, it was an open door to a conversation about greater things. Now, did we always hit a home run there? No. Uh, people uh, are pretty soon, if they know that, that you're going to start talking about Jesus, it's funny how their, their flight, they're running late. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that when you are living in love, when what you're doing is about giving to Jesus, even those who are cold and hard to the things of God, they will open their ears because they realize that you have something more than what the world normally has. You see, we go beyond a demon's faith when we live out our lives in love. And so what I'm saying to you is this, if you are a believer and you're here today, I'm going to challenge you to get busy doing the work of the kingdom. If you have Jesus' love in your heart, you can't sit still. And if you just don't have any motivation to take the love of Jesus, then you need to realize you may have just the faith of a demon. And that's not enough. Heavenly Father, Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.